be reading from Psalms 19, verses 7 through 14. The Torah of, the, of Adonai is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of Adonai is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of Adonai are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of Adonai is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of Adonai is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of Adonai are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Also keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I think you all realize today is Simchat, Simchat Torah, Simchat Torah. Um, some of what I want to talk about today is probably going to be a review, or some of it may not be, we'll see. But, um, like, some of you guys all around the world, you know, this is, uh, we're part of the, we take part in the reading cycle every, every week. Simchat Torah, you've heard, is the, literal just means the joy of the Torah, and the, the reading that we saw today was all, is also very uh, unique, as Michael mentioned, the idea that we're reading from the ending of the Torah and the beginning of the Torah. It's sort of symbolic of the fact that really, I think when we talk about the end of something, we come to the end of something, we think, ah, oh, I wish the semester's over with, or whatever it might be. But the fact that we pick up again with Genesis is a picture for us that we... Uh, that our study of the Torah, the study of the, of the Word of God, is to be cyclical, that it continues and it, it, it never ends. We don't take a break from that. Um, our procession today, you know, when, when people ask me, um, I've had visitors ask me, or um, sometimes people call the office, or friends that I went to seminary with, they might ask me about our, our, our service, and, you know, what's, what's, uh, what's your service like, you know? Some seminary students even come here as a project because it's supposed to go some type of, uh, some type of service. It's not like your own tradition. And they'll come here and they want to know in advance what's going to happen. And I tell them, well, you know, you handle snakes if you want to. You don't have to. You know, that kind of stuff just to kind of wig them out a little bit. But in all seriousness, you know, I say, look, a lot of things are going to be very similar. Obviously, uh, there's going to be some songs that we're going to have a lot of Hebrew. They'll be English. Um, a lot of things are going to seem very familiar to you, very comfortable, but inevitably the most unique part of our service, uh, which is, again, uh, very much like any, any synagogue that you would go to in the world, is the Torah service. And that's going to be unique. If you don't have a, a background in, in Judaism, if you've never been to a, a traditional synagogue before, and if you've never been to a Messianic synagogue before, that most likely is going to be the one standout item that you're going to see. And not even stand out, especially today. The, the, you know, the, uh, the, 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 the procession today was a little, little even, even that stand out on steroids, if you will. 
If you were to go to a traditional synagogue, you might see even more. If you were at a very orthodox or a Hasidic uh, situation, you might uh, see people uh, taking some shots of alcohol and stuff like that as they're dancing around and literally just getting drunk. And um, actually, some synagogues, they auction off, you know, for money, you start paying for the opportunity then to carry the Torah. They sort of raise money as they're going around and people are, so it's, it's all this kind of stuff. And so when you see that, you know, and someone sees that kind of thing, um, and even again, even just our normal weekly weekly procession with the Torah and kissing the Torah and facing the East, Jerusalem that way, and all these things, following and, and kissing with a prayer shawl or, or a prayer book and so forth. I say it's unique, but quite honestly, for some of us, even still, probably, it's really just kind of weird, maybe even off-putting. And, and you know, aren't we, aren't we uh, practicing idolatry here? Isn't this just a, a book, for Pete's sake? You know, we're, we're worshiping a book, aren't we? And the simple answer, let's say a simple answer, the short answer uh, is no. No, we're not committing idolatry or worshiping uh, a rule book as Lloyd has mentioned today, and we've heard several times. But what we're doing is we're really, we're recognizing and we're celebrating our relationship to God. That's really what we're doing. And so what about what about the book? Is, is this just a book that we are worshiping here, you know? In this question, I thought about this week, I think this is one area where I think that our, our weekly Torah service and then Simchat Torah um, can be very helpful to us as believers. Because in a, in a very real sense, without looking back uh, at history, as far as where this book came from and so forth, I think things can become very, uh, our perspective can become very sterile, you know, very, uh, we can lose perspective on, on things. So before we get into Psalm 19, I want you to turn with me in the book of Exodus. I'm just going to look at a couple verses. I will, I'll read them. If you don't want to turn there, that's fine. Uh, we're going to look in two chapters of Exodus. Exodus 19 as well as 24. So Exodus chapter 19 and then also Exodus 24. In Exodus 19, I'm going to begin reading uh, at verse 10. And then I'll skip around a little bit. I'm going to read a few verses in, in Exodus 19, starting at verse 10. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow. Let them wash their clothing. Be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Skipping ahead to verse 16. In the morning on the, of the third day, there was thundering and lightning. A thick cloud on the mountain. Hard just to imagine in Denver, I know, but you know where I'm from. There's actually thunder, lightning, clouds, rain, that kind of stuff. Um, so on the third day, there was thundering and lightning. A thick cloud on the mountain. And the blast of an exceedingly loud shofar. Like that, right? Wake you up. All the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood at the lowest part of the mountain. Now the entire Mount Sinai was in smoke, because Adonai had descended upon it in fire. The smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace. The whole mountain quaked greatly. When the sound of the shofar grew louder and louder, 
Moses spoke, and God answered him with a thunderous sound. Now move forward to Exodus chapter 24. Exodus 24 and verse 9. This is still all part of the same story here. It says, Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel went up. They saw the God of Israel. And under his feet was something like a pavement of sapphire, as clear as the very heavens. Yet he did not raise his hand against the nobles of the sons of Israel. So they beheld God and ate and drank at a party. Then Adonai said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and stay there, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the Torah and the commandments, the mitzvot, which I have written, so that you may instruct them. Anybody have a Bible in here today? I wonder how you got that Bible. Um, if someone didn't give it to you, you know, someone didn't present you the Bible, my guess is you you got it recently. Most likely you went on Amazon.com or something like that. And, or maybe you first came to somebody, maybe you climb or I or someone else, and, hey, you know, what's the best English, what's the best translation I should get, you know? And, and you figured out what translation you're going to get. And, should I get a study Bible? Uh, so the leather part, hardback, soft cover. What about one of those little rope things you know, that go down the middle? Yeah, I like those. They're kind of cool. They're neat too. You gotta get them all in two. I have to mark the Tanakh and the New Testament. And what about a concordance? Maybe it should have a dictionary. I like the thin paper. What size should I get? I don't know. So you make those kind of things. Maybe you should order. But maybe you didn't go through all that. Maybe you're like some other folks. Maybe you just went to the app store, right? And Touch the button, and I get three different versions. Click that kind of thing, right? Whatever it was, I don't know the, the manner or the process you do. Um, I don't know how you did it. My guess is it was quite a bit different and impactful than what we just read about the thunder, the lightning, the shofars, the cloud, the, the feet of the Lord standing on glass, and you saw him and, and eating and drinking and that kind of stuff, right? Very different, and I imagine. Um, yeah, a lot different than we just read in the book of Exodus. So, my point is that, is that having the word in our, in our possession, having the, the Bible here, uh, this root, the roots of this are very, very spectacular, very dramatic, much more than most of us experience when we go out and get our copy of the, of the word, you know? And when we talk about the great uh, theophanies of the Bible, theophany just the, the, where God shows up in the Bible, where you see God in the Bible, when we talk about the great theophanies, I think we're very quick to to, to think about maybe um, Jacob wrestling with an angel, wrestling with the Lord, actually face to face. We think maybe uh, about Abraham and, and his visitors that he had right before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Perhaps we, of course, not perhaps, but of course, we think about Yeshua also uh, as a theophany, a God sighting in the Bible. But I want to suggest also that we not forget some of the greatest theophanies ever, namely the ones in which led to the very receipt of the Word of God. The Word of God that you simply ordered online or downloaded to your phone or however you got that. Um, and it's easy for us to lose perspective of that. And I think that, that Simchat Torah is a great reminder for us of just what it is that we hold in our hands when we read the Word of God. When we consider you know, where, this, where this thing came from. 
Um, I would encourage you also to read some, read the back of your bulletin today, the Torah tidbits. It's a great little piece there that Rabbi Chaim wrote about about Simchat Torah. But before we go too much further and really get into into Psalm, the, the verses that were read in Psalm 19 to get to today, I want to review just again. Uh, this may be a review for some of, some of us, but you know what it is exactly uh, when we talk about the Torah. You know, what is, what is the Torah? Or Simchat Torah, the joy of the Torah, you know. What is the Torah? As far as what we're concerned here at Yeshua Zion, even, um, is it just the, the, you know, just the five books of Moses, Genesis through Deuteronomy? Uh, is it just that? Is it the, uh, the holiness code that's laid out in Leviticus, all the details and, you know, not, not sewing to kind of see even two threads and a shirt and all that kind of stuff? Um, is the Torah typified or exemplified by the way that Yeshua lived, his life. That, that's the, the, the Torah. You know? Is it, is it those things? And my answer to that is time's answer. Yes. Yes. It is all those things. Um, it's all those things. When we read 2 Timothy 3.16, Michael uh, quoted it today, all scripture is, is God-breathed and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. We believe that is what the Torah is. The word Torah comes from a Hebrew word that really just means an archery term. It means to shoot or to instruct somebody how to shoot. And so uh, basically it's, it's the idea of teaching. And so, for, so, so therefore we consider the Torah, you know, in, in, in one sense, yes, yeah, the five, five books of Moses. In another sense, it is really the whole instruction uh, and teaching of God. On its most fundamental level, it is God's instruction. So it is all of Scripture. So, we're going to take some time to, again to look at these passages, I mean, these verses here in Psalm 19. So you, can, you can go back there if you'd like. We're going to stay there for the rest of our time. And I'm really just going to look at, um, not everything that was read today, primarily just verses 7 through, uh, well, it depends on your what translation you have. It's going to be 7 through 10, or 8 through 11, if you have a Hebrew. It's actually 8 through 11 in the Hebrew. But it's where it's talking about the, 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 the word of what the, what the Torah is. Since we've established what the Torah is, we want to see what, what here in the Psalms David is saying the Torah is, how he's describing the Psalms are very much all about imagery. You never really look at the images and the pictures and the words that are used. There's a lot of things that are uh, what's called a synonymous or words that mean the same. You know, so it's, it's just more in the same explaining what the Torah is. And then also what the Torah does. What the Torah is and what the Torah does. So, starting in verse 8, or again in verse 7, it says that the Torah, the Torah of Adonai, this is the, the sacred name of God here being used, the Torah of the Lord, um, is perfect. Perfect. That word could be also translated as complete, or, or sound, when something is sound, or solid, or whole. In other words, the image is that the Torah, there's nothing missing. There's nothing missing from the Torah. It's perfect. It's not imperfect. And think about this, that, you know, this is the that ever happens to you where you buy something and you're happy with it, and then either you realize it's sort of missing something, you really would like some kind of feature, or maybe the, the thing you bought now becomes enhanced or new and improved, and you're like, man, I wish I had that extra little feature. I remember several years ago, um, when the iPad Mini came out, if you remember that, it was just, you know, this was many years back, and so the iPad Mini came out, and everybody everybody jumped on that. They wanted that, the cool, it was cool, it was the newest thing, and it's small, it's perfect. 
And we realize, well, you know, the human genome doesn't have that retina screen. So first, I maybe didn't have the retina screen. So when that retina screen, of course, came out, then we got to get the new the new one with the retina screen. I want to trade my old iPad mini in and get the new complete one, right? Complete with the retina screen. And so the picture here is that, you know, that's not the case with God's Word. It's not that there's something new is going to come out. The, the Torah, the, the Word of God is complete now. It always has been. It always will be. It has the retina screen already. Uh, no need to, to wait for the newer model to come out. So the Word of God is perfect. And it's complete it's sound. And what does it do? It says here in verse 8 that it restores the soul. Most of your translations probably say something to that effect. Restores the soul, revives the soul, something like that. The, the word here uh, for soul is the Hebrew word nefesh that, that's there. And that really has to do with um, the inner being, the, the life that's inside of us. This is what God created. We read from Genesis 1 today. That's what we first read about the nephesh, that God uh, created all these living things with, with nephesh. So it's this idea of this inner being. And so it, it, the word, again, is perfect, and it restores that, that soul. And the, the word for restore um, is the Hebrew word shuv. And you've heard that word quite a bit here if you've been in Yeshua Tzion, this idea of, of turning. Uh, it has, it, it's the word for, for turning or the word we use for repentance, for repentance. And the form of this verb here, Dr. Delaire is not here, but you tell her that I told you this because I learned it from her. This is in the causative sense, something that causes something to happen. So what's going on is that the word of God is causing the soul to turn around or to be renewed. That's literally what's being said here. We sing that every week in our Torah service. We said it today as we as we, we sing the Etzchayim. We say, Hashivenu Adonai Elohah Cause us to turn to you, O Lord, and let us return. And what Psalm 19 is telling us here is that only God and only His Word can make that happen. Cause that renewing, that turning. And I think that's really important for us because... Um, I read, we read 2 Corinthians 4.16. It tells us that basically we're, that our, our outward person is, is decaying, yet our inward person is being renewed. Our inward, inward being is being renewed day by day. And I think that I don't have to convince anyone here of that. Maybe the few folks I met, these, these, these uh, younger folks here today may not know this yet, but once you hit 30, I don't think I have to convince you anymore that your outward person is decaying. And it is dying. And uh, you know that. And the scripture here is telling us that it is the antidote to complete death. And complete and ultimate death. It is the opposite. It is the thing that's going to reverse that and stem that. Because we know our outward person is dying. Our only hope is our inward person. And that's what the word of God does. It causes that inward nephesh to return or to turn. Continuing on in Psalm 19, it says that the testimony... The testimony of Adonai is trustworthy. The word testimony here is one of uh, about four or five words that we always see in in the Torah, at least in in the Tanakh, the Hebrew Scriptures, when when it talks about Scripture, when it talks about God's instruction or its Torah. It usually talks about God's Torah, testimony, commandments, ordinances, and judgments. You'll see those always grouped together. Some people like to say, well, what's the Torah? That's fine, that's the Torah. Well, there's the commandments. No, it always just sort of groups them all together. And one of the words that's always grouped in there is this word that's translated uh, testimony. It can be, uh, it's the Hebrew word edut, and it can be uh, translated as testimony. 
It can be uh, translated as sure or steadfast or reliable. I'm sorry, that's the wrong one. That's, that's, that's the part that's talking about it. It can be translated uh, testimony, commandments, ordinance of judgments. But in any event, it says that, that these adut, these trustworthy things, um, are, it's from the root amen. So his testimonies, God's testimonies are amen. And amen is not just a, a period. It's not like the Hebrew equivalent of, of a period, you know. But we often look at it that way, that it's just sort of the end of a prayer. We say, da, 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 period, amen, right? Um, but amen has the idea of reliability. And it's specifically because of the one who is behind what we're saying amen to. So the testimony of the word is reliable, true, and trustworthy because it's from God himself. It's his testimony. And therefore, anything else, anything else in life is unsure. Anything else uh, in life is untrustworthy and it's unreliable and it's on an unstable foundation. And God's testimonies, again, what do they do? They, they make the simple wise. It says, make, my, my translation here says that it makes the simple wise. And literally what it says there is that it causes wisdom to the simple. Again, it's that causative verb again. Causes wisdom for the simple. I don't know about you, uh, what you think, but I think I'm a very wise person. Okay? <laughs> a lot of laughing. I like that laughing. The problem is, is that, you know, wisdom is basically what you learn from experience, you know? And my wisdom, unfortunately, typically comes from all the, just the screw-ups, you know? Uh, after I experience the trials, the troubles, and, oh, that's what, that, that's what that meant, or that's what that sound in my car was. Oh, and then I become very wise about that. And I probably shouldn't drive it next time when it sounds like I'm dragging pots and pans behind my car or something. I should probably get that checked out, you know? Um, so I typically gain that, that great wisdom only after those kind of dumb, dumb things that I do for the first time. But wouldn't it be great to be able to get wisdom without having to necessarily do all that dumb stuff the first time, you know? Uh, I think that'd be great. And that's kind of what, what the Word's telling us here, that that's the opportunity we have. I remember seeing a movie many years ago um, called Phenomenon. I think it's called, it called Phenomenon. It was a John Travolta movie. It wasn't his typical movie, but he was this real simple kind of guy. He was a simple, basic, happy, happy-go-lucky guy. And uh, he has this event in his life where he gets, we think he gets struck by lightning. We're not sure. But he just becomes, all of a sudden, he becomes wise and he's very observant of all the things around him. He takes things in and he just, his life becomes revolutionized and he kind of impacts the community that he lives in. And people from all over the world want to come and and see him and test him and quiz him and find about what's going on with him. He sort of all of a sudden becomes wise. Um, in his case, I think they said it was like a brain tumor, but the, but the point, the, the picture is the same, uh, is that this is the, the, the metamorphosis, the picture of the metamorphosis uh, that we see here in Psalm 19, is that God's Torah, His Word, His instruction, that's what it offers to us. It offers us a, a, a turnaround in our thinking. A literal wisening of our minds. Psalm 19 goes on to say that the precepts, the precepts of Adonai are right. Precepts here uh, can be translated also as appointed things, God's plans, or His accounting. Basically the way He figures things, the way He does His accounting. His, his accounting, the way he accounts for things are right, or they are upright, or they are upstanding, or they are fair. And the Hebrew word here is, is really just 
just that. It's, it means upright. It's talking about kind of a, a characteristic, a person who's upright, a person who who does the right thing, who's not this way and that way. They don't tell half-truths. They don't do things just to serve themselves. Um, they can be trusted. I uh, can even think of a few different, few different people I've worked with in the past. I was managing a, a number of townhomes in Washington, D.C. and I inherited on this project, I inherited... Uh, a maintenance man. His name was Willie. Very generic, so you won't know which Willie. You know Willie? Probably not the Willie. Man. So I inherited Willie and another guy that, that used to fix washing machines for me, and uh, his name was Joey. Joey X. He was a Muslim guy, so. And uh, so I said, Willie and Joey. And man, Willie, if I had called Willie out to, to fix something, one thing I knew for sure is that I would hear back from the resident about something that Willie did with duct tape or that Willie did some kind of crazy thing. And I do it by Willie. Willie installed, Willie installed these uh, kitchen cameras for one side, and the resident called, well, this drawer won't open. And I called Willie, I said, what's up with the drawer, Willie? Oh, that's a manufacturer's defect. <laughs> hey, Willie. I go down and check the drawer. The drawer is just completely cocked like this. I looked at it, I pulled it out, and banged into the refrigerator. I was like, so I pulled the refrigerator out, pulled the drawer out, lined it up on the tracks, put it in, perfect, you know, put the fridge back. There was one defect, it was not a manufactured defect. It was really <laughs> Every time, that's kind of how it really was. You know, it was just, it was whatever, not my fault, they found a defect, whatever it was. When I called Joey out, I mean, Joey was like, he was like gold almost, you know. Whatever was wrong with the machine, he was going to fix it. He was going to get a new one. It was going to be exactly whatever the problem was. No issues at all with Joey, you know. Um, and the, it says here that the Lord's precepts, his appointed things, his plans, his way of doing stuff, uh, gladdens the heart. Literally here it says that it simchas the heart. This word simchas here in this verse, what we're celebrating today, a simcha, a joyous event, a joyous occasion. When I would send Willie... I would be nervous because I just knew it. something was coming back to me. When I would send Joey, I'd rest easy. And the uprightness of, of, of God's word kind of does the same thing for us. You can kind of rest easy. There's not going to be any, any trouble. There's not going to be any manufactured defects. The next, uh, the next thing that it says here in Psalm 19 is it says that the, the commandments of Adonai, the commandments of the Lord are pure. The mitzvot the mitzvot, the commands. You hear the boos, right? Boo. Maybe not in this graph, but we think about it, like like Floyd said today. You know, the commandments are boos. Actually, Rabbi kind of used the explanation of kind of, I think, a common understanding uh, in, uh, in the Torah tidbits of, kind of the way most folks consider the, the commandments of the Lord. But what does it say here? It says that the, the mitzvot, it says that they're pure and that they're clean, giving light to the eyes. You know, far from overbearing rules, God's commands or his instructions for living ultimately cause our eyes to shine. Often we hear that our eyes are the window to the soul, right? But the eyes, they're, they're a sign of life. And I think it's, it's not just a biological, physical life, but 
an abundant, refreshing uh, life as well. And isn't this a common refrain in people's testimonies when someone says they came to know the Lord? Often they'll say, you know, there was just something about Corey. I don't know what it was. It was just something in his eyes. You know, there was something, something was there, and, and I wanted to know what that was, and, and so forth. And so God's commands, his actual, these, these commands, these you know, rules we think they're all the time, they really are actually something that, that cause us to be a witness for him and cause us to, to help expand the kingdom. So I think that's, that's the way that the, the mitzvot of the Lord work. They cause our eyes to light up. And then in, in verse 10, or wherever it is for you, it says that the, the fear of Adonai is clean. The fear of Adonai is clean. Now fear here is really just a synonym uh, of God's word, or a synonym meaning the same as uh, knowing God himself. And it tells us here that, that that fear, that knowing God, relates to cleanness. And if your translation does say clean there, and if it's the same word that's used maybe a verse or two before that, you might, if you see that word clean repeated, um, in English at least, know that it's a, it's a different Hebrew word. This is, this is a clean, this word clean here has to do with um, like cer- the ceremonial, ceremonially clean. Something that is clean in this sense is something that is suitable for sacrifice, something that is um, something used in worship, or something used as a presentation to God. It's clean in that sense. It's a different word. So, this type of fear, or this type of knowing God, the scripture here tells us that it's an absolute prerequisite for coming to Him in worship, for presenting ourselves to Him. And the text says that this fear, or, the, or God's word here, says that it, uh, it is enduring forever. Enduring forever. And the Hebrew literally says that it is standing. The same word that's on the front of our heart. No, before you stand, when you stand, it's the same word here. It is standing forever. Think about that for a minute. That the fear of the Lord, knowing God is something that stands, that stands forever, you know? Or God's word stands forever. Do you know of anything that literally stands forever? You know? I mean, even many of us don't stand forever, you know? I remember about a year ago, uh, I was over here at Home Depot with a seven or so time. I hope I stopped standing. <laughs> you know what I mean? It never happened to me. I thought I was dying. I thought, okay, six. I just everything was just closing in. I had to call 911. I thought, well, this is it. This guy's kind of boring. See, I wasn't going to faint or anything. I found out later. It was just a, he was almost fainted or whatever. But the point is, we don't stand forever. Even, you know, we look at the... This direction. The rocks and the mountains, you know, you think about the rocks and the mountains, they stand forever. The truth is they don't. They topple. You know, if nothing else, they're eroded by the, the, the wind and the rain and so forth. Um, they, they change. What really stands forever, you know? And more to the point for us, what is it in your life that, that you're maybe investing in heavily? Really spending time in developing or doing things that are really only temporary. They're not going to stand forever at all. What things are, are you consumed with that will ultimately erode and change just like those rocks? Or just like one of you may, one of us may fall one day. Uh, I don't know what it might be. You do. Maybe it's your, your physical well-being. You, you know, really take, everything's all about taking care of your physical body. I don't know. Maybe it's your occupation, the way which you, you occupy your time or the way you earn income. Maybe you're, you're investing tremendously in, in friendships, relationships, uh, 
I know some people that, man, it's the newest TV shows and the newest movies, the new season or whatever's coming out every Thursday night, every Tuesday night, every Wednesday night, whatever it is. I don't know. And, and I don't mean to say that those things, you know, are inherently bad and let's, you know, let's put them in a big pile or have a bonfire or anything like that. Um, that's not my point. But to the extent that those things are drawing you away from or causing you to ignore the, the fear of God, the thing, that thing that will stand forever, uh, then I think that, that they are bad in that sense. In the last two statements that we come to here, at the end of verse 10 and then also 11 uh, in the Hebrew there, uh, they're, they're really like summary statements of all the stuff that, that we've just looked at. It says that the judgments of Adonai are true and altogether righteous. The word here for judgments uh, is the Hebrew uh, mishpat. These are judgments in the sense like uh, Michael was talking about God's decision or discernment. Basically, it's the way that he governs, the way that the Lord governs. It says that they are true and righteous. And this word true, again, is from the the root amen. So from from God himself, from his testimony. So by extension, the way that we are, you know, Expected or, or told to model and live our lives as a as a person of God, as a man or woman of God, they're true, and they're altogether righteous. And the text goes on to say that they are more desirable than gold. Yes, more than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Two primary images here, right? We've got gold and we've got honey. I think it's important for us to stop and look at these for a moment. This is what all these things we've just looked at, the testimonies of the Lord, the, the, the righteousness, the statutes, all these things, they are more desirable than gold and sweeter than honey. So what about gold? Gold um, was the most precious thing known to, to David's day. You know, That was the most precious thing, most valuable, most valuable thing in his day. And I tried to think of a, of a modern day example. What would it be for us today? Pulled out money and pulled out a dollar bill. I said, you know, it says Federal Reserve note, and ideally, if you know how this works, I mean, I'm not an economist, and I know there are issues that the government just prints more money, and there's no gold, and I'll hear your conspiracy theories. Keep them private there. But ideally, the truth is, gold is the same thing for us. Even on paper money, it's backed by gold. The paper itself is worthless, right? It's pretty much it has no value. Its value only exists in the gold that is behind it. Yeah, that's, again, ideally how it works. <laughs> um, Floyd's laughing the most. Well, the, the federal officer is laughing the most. In other words, the paper, the paper itself, is, it's really very empty, okay? There's nothing, without that gold behind it, it's pretty, pretty much valueless. And so are we. So are our lives without God and His Word. That's what the text is telling us. That's the foundation. That's the backing. That's the Federal Reserve Bank for us. That's what's behind it all. So therefore, that's what we should be valuing, and that's what we should be collecting, is more of His Word. That's the gold, in a sense. And what about the honey? Honey, then, was, again, the sweetest thing known in, in their day, in that part of the world. Probably that's the, that's the thing they're, they're having more of, is, is honey. And once again, I realize that's really the same for us today. Uh, unlike uh, refined sugar or slimacea, Whatever you might be your, your, your sweetener of choice. The truth is, those things might be sweet, but they're not sweeter than honey. But they're also empty, those kind of things. Those, those, those things, their sweetness has no value they're, or benefit, really. Those are all substitutes, substitutes for sweetness. And honey produces energy. I remember um, 
when I was over in Virginia, sort of exercising at the YMCA, and there was this couple in there, there this couple of guys this way, they were just, they were serious, they took it real serious at the, at the gym. Uh, but anyways, I noticed one day, in between their sets, uh, they were like, the race, they were like, they were like sucking these bottles in it. They're sucking cum in between, you know, to get energy, you know. Um, it was really kind of interesting, but the point is it, it created energy. Honey has more calories, a good number more calories than sugar, and they're good calories, they're better for you, you know, if you were just to suck down sugar. Maybe you've tried that before if you're ever a kid. I know I, I did it one time to quiet one of my kids when they were crying many years ago. It worked, but the truth is, I mean, they really quiet. But the truth is it actually ends up draining you and it actually makes you feel worse off than you were before if you do that. And the thing about honey, it's not just that it's sweet, um, the picture there, honey being sweet, but it's also, I think, enjoyable, you know? If you were here at Rosh Hashanah and you saw our kids downstairs with little honey sticks, I mean, maybe for you it wasn't sweet if you were cleaning up some of the mess, but the truth is the kids were having fun eating it also. So it's sweet and it's enjoyable. You watch our kids next Rosh Hashanah with those things. And for us, I think that we often choose, choose things in life to ingest that we think might be enjoyable or that we think are going to energize us. But the truth is that they really only uh, end up leaving us tired and, and weak. You know, we thought they wouldn't do that, but they do. And it might be that, that TV show or the movie we sit down to watch thinking it's going to be relaxing and, or get a bowl of ice cream uh, or maybe even take a nap sometimes. You think, I'll just take a nap and energize myself. The truth is it ends up doing kind of the opposite. Um, those are the things that we tend to invest ourselves in, and they really don't—they don't—they don't produce, you know. But God's word, however, it doesn't let us down in that way, you know. And you—you may—you may have been in a drought, or maybe you are in a drought with re, with regard to reading God's word. But I don't know about you. But when you do pick it up and you do read something, maybe it's—it's it's a very small something. You pick it up until you read, until you get one of those, what we call an aha moment, you know? And so something sort of stops you in your tracks as you're, as you're reading. And it might be after you read a whole book of the Bible, it might be a whole chapter, it might just be one verse, maybe it's one word sometimes, it just stops you. I don't encourage you, you stop and look at that, and uh, it, it, it energizes you. I don't know. I don't know about you, but I, I, would, I would suggest that you try it. So these are all things, when we, when we look at these verses in Psalm 19, that, 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 that we look at what, what God's Word is and what God's Word does. And if you, if you meditate on those things, again, when you read the Psalms, you want to really think about those word pictures. You don't have to know the Hebrew necessarily behind The English translations are good. Um, but there are images. The, the Psalms are about imagery. It's not poetry just for a flowery reason. It's poetry to give you multiple aspects of, of the same thing. Okay, we talk about it from this way, we're going to talk about it from this way, from that way, from that way. So we look at what God's Word is and what God's Word does, and also what we can, what we can get from that is we can think, okay, if this is what God's Word is, we can also determine what God's Word is not. And if this is what God's Word does, we can also figure out this is what God's Word doesn't do. You know. So in other words, if we have God's Word in our life, we can expect this. If we have a lack of it, this is what it's going to be like. So in other words... You know, if God's Word brings life to the soul, what does a lack of God's Word do? What's the opposite of life? Death. So, God's Word brings life to the soul. Lack of God's Word brings death to our soul. If God's Word gladdens our heart, what does a lack of God's Word do? Sands our heart. 
and so on. I won't go through all of them, but you get the point. But maybe you're still sitting there, uh, convinced in your mind, maybe, but still thinking, you know what, I don't know, next week, next year, I'm still, I still—I don't see myself dancing around doing the sidestep crab walk like, you know, some of us do. I just don't see it. I don't see myself kissing the Torah. It's just not my thing. And if that's just the outward expression, that's, that's fine. I have no problem with that. But if it's truly your inward feeling that you're still, you know, just not there, that's another issue. And I want to suggest that if that's your issue, and I'm not going to point a finger, believe it, I've been there. Um, I want to suggest that it has to do with your level of investment in the Word of God. Your level of the depth of your history with the Word of God. Your engagement with it. I am. Uh, about three weeks ago, two weeks ago, I was at a, I was out of town at a wedding, and uh, up in Michigan, northern Michigan, it was a little, uh, like a little, uh, what do they call, it? tourist, like a tourist town. So we're in a small town. It's actually a pretty, pretty good sized wedding, about 200 people, uh, big as far as I'm concerned. I know there's bigger ones, and it was in this little tourist area, in this little city. And so uh, they, they, had, they had actually reserved um, an opera house. It was a performance hall. Very nice, re- re- refurbished opera house. And the whole thing was closed down. So as you're walking down the street, there's, there's the opera house. And on the, on the, on the door it said, closed for, uh, for private event. There was a sign in there, closed for private event. Or reserved for private event. Now it was loud. There was, uh, there was a band playing, music. I mean, by the time the, the reception part hit, it was a it was a simcha, we would say. So I, I left as I was leaving. The party was still raging. Uh, I had to leave to get back to Denver. And so the next one, as I was leaving, leaving the place, walked down the street. Who's um, that? And uh, someone comes up and as they're walking by, says, uh, "Hey, what's going, what's going on?" And I said, "Oh, it's wedding." And the person said, "Oh." And that was it. Kept walking. There was no real joy. They didn't say, "Oh wow, great!" And they, you know, there wasn't some simcha for them, and they didn't start dancing too, right? But why not? You didn't know the families. Had no relationship with the guests. No history. No investment. I mean, I did. Not this is. My family, I've known for 46 years. There were people at that event that knew the bride and groom for 30 plus years. People had known the parents for 50, 60 years. I mean, they were all, had had high level uh, of investment, you know. They were invested. Where that passerby, you know, they were just, they were just a passerby on the street. And they were not invested. So, what about you and the Bible? Do you just know about it? Knowing that there's a party going on in there, upstairs? Are you just a passerby on the street? Or are you invested in it? Understanding its value, like gold. Enjoying its sweetness and its health-giving benefits, like honey. Having a history with it. Because that's how to participate in uh, in Simchat Torah, in the joy of the Torah, in the joy of His Word. We just finished uh, Sukkot this, this past week. That's the remembering of the, of the giving of the Torah. And in the context of Simcha Torah, I believe it's important because in preparing this message, I thought about that because I realized there's a progression in these, in these, these holidays, these holy days. And I call it the, the good, the better, and the best. 
bought new bought anything recently in store, uh, whether it's gasoline at the pump or uh, the air, air filter for your car, or air filter for your cooling, it's always a choice, right? You can have this one, it's good. Or the better one. But then there's the best, you know. Double pleated, triple whatever, you know, that's the best, you know, 97 octane fuel, whatever, for your pinto, you know. But uh, good, better, best. So what's the good? The good is that, you know, we progress into understanding that the, the word exists, right? We know about it. You might even know what it says inside the word. And then there's the better. That you know the word exists, you know what's in there, and actually you've received it. Because it's the receiving of the Torah. It's one thing to know it exists, one thing to, to receive it, right? And that it's not just any old book. And then there's the best, which is knowing that the word exists, that you received it, but now you're investing your life in, it, in reading it and uh, learning it, maybe little by little. That's okay. It might seem like a big daunting task, but again, sometimes it's just a, a word that, that stops you and you can sit there and think about that. So good, better, better. Knowing it exists, receiving it, and then investing it. I think that's the difference between being that passerby on the street and being the one upstairs that's that's dancing at the party, getting lifted on the chairs. That's what they did, all that stuff. It was pretty, pretty crazy. But that's what I do. That's what I pray that this celebration of Simchat Torah has brought to you today, to all of us today. It's that motivation to get invested in the Word of God. I think we all need, we all can can take that. Get invested in the Word of God so that you're. Your soul will be restored so that you'll gain wisdom. You'll have a joyful heart and then be a bright-eyed testimony to the power and the goodness of God. Let's pray. Lord, we we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word being a, a lamp or light unto our feet, a light unto our path, Lord, directing and guiding us. We thank you for your instructions, for your guidance. We ask you to help us get the right outlook on, on your commandments and the things you instruct us in, in your word, your entire word. We ask, Lord, that as we engage with your word, as we invest ourselves in your word, that it would become as valuable to us as gold and as sweet and as enjoyable as honey. Make that real to us, Lord, not just words that we sing. Make it be our real experience and our real, our real encounter with you. I pray, Lord, that you would you would renew and stir in each of us a, a commitment and a passion to invest in reading and ingesting your word that you gave to us. We just ask these things in Yeshua's name. Amen.